0: Section twenty of the Extermination of the American Bison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Extermination of the American Bison by William T. Hornaday. Part two. Chapter three. Progress of the Extermination Continued. Section B the period of systematic slaughter from 1830 to 1838. We come now to a history which I would gladly leave unwritten. Its record is a disgrace to the American people in general, and the territorial state and general government in particular. It will cause succeeding generations to regard us as being possessed of the leading characteristics of the savage and the beast of prey—cruelty and greed. We will be likened to the bloodthirsty tiger of the Indian jungle, who slaughters a dozen bullocks at once when he knows he can eat only one. In one respect, at least, the white men who engaged in the systematic slaughter of the bison were savages just as much as the Piegan Indians, who would drive a whole herd over a precipice to secure a week's rations of meat for a single village. The men who killed buffaloes for their tongues and those who shot them from the railway trains for sport were murderers. In no way does civilized man so quickly revert to his former state as when he is alone with the beasts of the field. Give him a gun and something which he may kill without getting himself in trouble, and presto, he is instantly a savage again, finding exquisite delight in bloodshed, slaughter, and death, if not for gain, then solely for the joy and happiness of it there is no kind of warfare against game animals too unfair too disreputable or too mean for white men to engage in if they can only do so with safety to their own precious carcasses they will shoot buffalo and antelope from running railway trains drive deer into water with hounds and cut their throats in cold blood kill does with fawns a week old kill fawns by the score for their spotted skins Slaughter deer, moose, and caribou in the snow at a pitiful disadvantage, just as the wolves do. Exterminate the wild ducks on the whole Atlantic seaboard with punt-guns for the metropolitan markets. Kill off the Rocky Mountain goats for hides worth only fifty cents apiece. Destroy wagon-loads of trout with dynamite. And so on to the end of the chapter. Perhaps the most gigantic task ever undertaken on this continent in the line of game-slaughter was the extermination of the bison in the great pasture region by the hide-hunters. Probably the brilliant rapidity and success with which that lofty undertaking was accomplished was a matter of surprise even to those who participated in it. The story of the slaughter is by no means a long one. The period of systematic slaughter of the bison naturally begins with the first organized efforts in that direction, in a business-like wholesale way although the species had been steadily driven westward for a hundred years by the advancing settlements, and had during all that time been hunted for the meat and robes it yielded, its extermination did not begin in earnest until 1820 or thereabouts. As before stated, various persons had previous to that time made buffalo killing a business in order to sell their skins, but such instances were very exceptional. By that time, the bison was totally extinct in all the region lying east of the Mississippi River, except a portion of Wisconsin, where it survived until about 1830. In 1820, the first organized buffalo-hunting expedition on a grand scale was made from the Red River Settlement, Manitoba, in which 540 carts proceeded to the range. Previous to that time, the buffaloes were found near enough to the settlements around Fort Gary that every settler could hunt independently but as the herds were driven farther and farther away it required an organized effort and a long journey to reach them the american fur company established trading posts along the missouri river one at the mouth of the teton river and another at the mouth of the yellowstone in eighteen twenty six a post was established at the eastern base of the rocky mountains at the head of the arkansas river and in 1832 another was located in a corresponding situation at the head of the south fork of the platte, close to where Denver now stands. Both the latter were on what was then the western border of the Buffalo Range. Elsewhere throughout the Buffalo Country there were numerous other posts, always situated as near as possible to the best hunting ground, and at the same time where they would be most accessible to the hunters, both white and red. As might be supposed, the Indians were encouraged to kill buffaloes for their robes, and this is what Mr. George Catlin wrote at the mouth of the Teton River, Pyatt County, Dakota, in 1832, concerning this trade. Note 63. North American Indians, 1, page 263. It seems hard and cruel, does it not, that we civilized people, with all the luxuries and comforts of the world about us, should be drawing from the backs of these useful animals the skins for our luxury, leaving their carcasses to be devoured by the wolves, that we should draw from that country some one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand of their robes annually, the greater part of which are taken from animals that are killed expressly for the robe, at a season when the meat is not cured and preserved, and for each of which skins the Indian has received but a pint of whiskey. Such is the fact and that number or near it are annually destroyed in addition to the number that is necessarily killed for the subsistence of 300,000 Indians who live chiefly upon them." End quote. The author further declared that the fur trade in those great western realms was then limited chiefly to the purchase of buffalo robes. Part 1. The Red River half-breeds In June, 1840, when the Red River half-breeds assembled at Pembina for their annual expedition against the buffalo, they mustered as follows. Carts, 1,210. Hunters, 620. Women, between 650 and 1,630. Boys and girls, 360. Horses, buffalo runners, 403 dogs, 542, cart-horses, 655, draft-oxen, 586, skinning-knives, 1240. The total value of the property employed in this expedition, and the working time occupied by it, two months, amounted to the enormous sum of 24,000 pounds. Although the bison formerly ranged to Fort Garry, near Winnipeg, they had been steadily killed off and driven back, and in 1840 none were found by the expedition, until it was 250 miles from Pembina, which is situated on the Red River, at the international boundary. At that time the extinction of the species from the Red River to the Cheyenne was practically complete. The Red River settlers, aided, of course, by the Indians of that region, are responsible for the extermination of the bison throughout northeastern Dakota as far as the Cheyenne River, northern Minnesota, and the whole of what is now the province of Manitoba. More than that, as the game grew scarce, and retired farther and farther, the half-breeds, who despised agriculture as long as there was a buffalo to kill, extended their hunting operations westward along the capel until they encroached upon the hunting-grounds of the Plain Crees. Who lived in the Saskatchewan country. Thus was an immense inroad made in the northern half of the herd which had previously covered the entire pasture region from the great slave lake to central Texas. This was the first visible impression of the systematic killing which began in eighteen twenty. Up to eighteen forty it is reasonably certain, as will be seen by figures given elsewhere, that by this business-like method of the half-breeds, at least 652 thousand buffaloes were destroyed by them alone even as early as 1840 the red river hunt was prosecuted through dakota southwestwardly to the missouri river and a short distance beyond it here it touched the wide strip of territory bordering that stream which was even then being regularly drained of its animal resources by the indian hunters who made the river their base of operations and whose robes were shipped on its steamboats it is certain that these annual Red River expeditions into Dakota were kept up as late as eighteen forty seven and as long thereafter as buffaloes were to be found in any number between the Cheyenne and the Missouri. At the same time the White Horse Plains Division, which hunted westward from Fort Garry, did its work of destruction quite as rapidly and as thoroughly as the rival expedition to the United States. In eighteen fifty seven the Plains Crees, inhabiting the country around the headwaters of the Capel River, 250 miles due west from Winnipeg, assembled in council, and, determined that in consequence of promises often made and broken by the white men and half-breeds, and the rapid destruction by them of the buffalo they fed on, they would not permit either white men or half-breeds to hunt in their country, or travel through it, except for the purpose of trading for their dried meat, pemmican, skins and robes." In 1858 the Crees reported that between the two branches of the Saskatchewan buffalo were very scarce. Professor Hine's expedition saw only one buffalo in the whole course of their journey from Winnipeg until they reached Sand Hill Lake at the head of the capel near the south branch of the Saskatchewan, where the first herd was encountered. Although the species was not totally extinct on the capel at that time, it was practically so. Part 2 The Country of the Sioux The next territory completely depopulated of buffaloes by systematic hunting was very nearly the entire southern half of Dakota, southwestern Minnesota, and northern Nebraska, as far as the North Platte. This vast region, once the favorite range for hundreds of thousands of buffaloes, had for many years been the favorite hunting ground of the sioux indians of the missouri the pawnees omahas and all other tribes of that region the settlement of iowa and minnesota presently forced into this region the entire body of mississippi sioux from the country west of prairie du chien and around fort snelling and materially hastened the extermination of all the game animals which were once so abundant there it is absolutely certain that if the indians had been uninfluenced by the white traders or in other words had not been induced to take and prepare a large number of robes every year for the market the species would have survived very much longer than it did but the demand quickly proved to be far greater than the supply the indians of course found it necessary to slaughter annually a great number of buffaloes for their own wants for meat robes leather teepees, etc. When it came to supplementing this necessary slaughter by an additional fifty thousand or more every year for marketable robes, it is no wonder that the improvident savages soon found, when too late, that the supply of buffaloes was not inexhaustible. Naturally enough, they attributed their disappearance to the white man, who was therefore a robber, and a proper subject for the scalping-knife. Apparently it never occurred to the minds of the Sioux that they themselves were equally to blame. It was always the pale face who killed the buffaloes, and it was always Sioux buffaloes that they killed. The Sioux seemed to feel that they held a chattel mortgage on all the buffaloes north of the Platte, and it required more than one pitched battle to convince them otherwise. Up to the time when the Great Sioux Reservation was established in Dakota, eighteen seventy-five to seventy-seven, when thirty-three thousand seven hundred thirty-nine square miles of country or nearly the whole southwest quarter of the territory was set aside for the exclusive occupancy of the sioux buffaloes were very numerous throughout that entire region east of the missouri river which is the eastern boundary of the sioux reservation from bismarck all the way down the species was practically extinct as early as eighteen seventy but at the time when it became unlawful for white hunters to enter the territory of the Sioux Nation, there were tens of thousands of buffaloes upon it, and their subsequent slaughter is chargeable to the Indians alone, save as to those which migrated into the hunting grounds of the whites. Part three. Western Railways and their part in the extermination of the buffalo. The building of a railroad means the speedy extermination of all the big game along its line. In its eagerness to attract the public and build up a big business, every new line which traverses a country containing game does its utmost, by means of advertisements and posters, to attract the man with a gun. Its game resorts are all laid bare, and the market-hunters and sportsmen swarm in immediately, slaying and to slay. Within the last year, the last real retreat for our finest game. The only remaining stronghold for the mountain sheep goat caribou elk and deer northwestern montana northern ohio and thence westward has been laid open to the very heart by the building of the st paul minneapolis and manitoba railway which runs up the valley of the milk river to fort assiniboine and crosses the rocky mountains through two medicine pass heretofore that region has been so difficult to reach That the game it contains has been measurably secure from general slaughter, but now it also must go. The marking out of the great overland trail by the Argonauts of 49 in their rush for the gold fields of California was the foreshadowing of the great east and west breach in the universal herd, which was made twenty years later by the first transcontinental railway. The pioneers who crossed the plains in those days killed buffaloes for food whenever they could, and the constant harrying of those animals, experienced along the line of travel, soon led them to retire from the proximity of such continual danger. It was undoubtedly due to this cause that the number seen by parties who crossed the plains in 1849, and subsequently, was surprisingly small. But fortunately for the buffaloes, the pioneers, who would gladly have halted and turned aside now and then for the excitement of the chase, were compelled to hurry on, and accomplish the long journey while good weather lasted. It was owing to this fact, and the scarcity of good horses, that the buffaloes found it necessary to retire only a few miles from the wagon route to get beyond the reach of those who would have gladly hunted them. Mr. Alan Varner of Indianola, Illinois, has kindly furnished me with the following facts in regard to the presence of the Buffalo, as observed by him during his journey westward over what was then known as the Oregon Trail. The old Oregon Trail ran from Independence, Missouri, to Old Fort Laramie, through the south pass of the Rocky Mountains, and thence up to Salt Lake City. We left Independence on May C, 1849, and struck the Platte River at Grand Island. The trail had been travelled but very little previous to that year. We saw no buffaloes, whatever, until we reached the forks of the Platte on May 20th or thereabouts. There we saw seventeen head. From that time on we saw small bunches now and then, never more than forty or fifty together. We saw no great herds anywhere, and I should say we did not see over five hundred head, all told. The most western point at which we saw buffaloes was about due north of Laramie Peak, and it must have been about the twentieth of June. We killed several head for meat during our trip, and found them all rather thin in flesh. Plainsmen, who claimed to know, said that all the buffaloes we saw had wintered in that locality, and had not had time to get fat. The annual migration from the south had not yet begun, or rather had not yet brought any of the southern buffaloes that far north. In a few years the tide of overland travel became so great that the buffaloes learned to keep away from the dangers of the trail, and many a pioneer has crossed the plains without ever seeing a live buffalo. End of section 20